All right. Uh, well, welcome, six of you. Thanks for being here. Um, it's funny, I was thinking in, like, uh, uh, sorry, I feel really loud because there's 12 people here. Um, that, like, this, this, like, a year and a half ago, we would have been ecstatic about how many people were here. So it's just funny how, like, Things feel weird now. But um, Luke 12 is where we're going to be. Before we jump in, just a couple quick things. Um, one, we are an official church now. I don't know if you know this. We weren't official uh, in the Southern Baptist circle until we got bulletins. Uh, so now that we have bulletins, everything is official. Um, there's that. I know we don't have a ton of new people, uh, but one of the things that we're trying to do is just to make sure we can convey a lot of things from the stage via mouth. But um, uh, just because of a low crowd, we're going to have fun. Is that okay? We can like, oh, we're not going to have fun. I'm going to preach and yell at you. So um, check, check these out. The most important, or maybe not most important, one of the things I should say is uh, if you don't need this, then return it. Um, there's a little thing across the bottom that says, please return unused bulletins um, to the front, which should say to the table, because uh, these things cost money and we are poor. So um, check it out. Look how official and cool we are, but don't steal one. Um, if you want to, I know Zaxby's gives like a 10% discount. Um, so if you're going to st- like just keep one in your car for that purpose, you can tell them they believe you. Cool. Okay. So you don't even need that. The other thing I want to point your attention to before we hop in is the Pray for Millersville card. Um, They're on the connections table as well. Take one of these, put it on the refrigerator. Um, I don't have time to go into it, but we're starting our vision to start 10 churches in the next 10 years, um, and this will be our first. And so uh, take one of these, make sure to be praying for these guys. Um, Kyle and Jen go to Millersville almost every Thursday. So if you just want to go see it, check out what's happening in Millersville, talk to Kyle and you guys can uh, get a ride or, or figure all that stuff out and go with him. Sounds good? All right, Luke 12, nope, Luke 14 is where we're going to be uh, this morning. <clears throat> so I, I was texting Kyle this morning because this is like the perfect trifecta of spring break and rain and time change. Um, so since all you guys are here, we didn't, we thought it would be fun just to kind of reward the people that were here. Um, so if you'll reach under your seat, there's a present that we taped underneath there. Just sometime throughout the service, just take a look and, uh, I'm just kidding, don't do that. Uh, told you we're going to have fun. So, um, David was telling me this morning, raise your hand, David. This is my man, David. Um, David put an offer on a house. Uh, was there something under it here? <laughs> You're welcome. You are welcome. Um, David was telling me this morning, that this weekend, he put an offer on a house. And, and so there's been a couple of you guys within the church world getting ready to buy their first house. And so there's a story that every time someone talks about that, it always relives this memory of the time that Bree and I bought our first house. Um, now, it was 2000, when was I born? 11. Uh, Bree was uber pregnant when we moved in. I think like we moved in and two weeks later we had Auburn, so everything was rush, rush. Um, but the moment that we bought the house, I was a youth pastor at the time, and so um, the moment they called, like, hey, congratulations, they accepted your offer. Um, I'm not like, I, I know people like have panic attacks and anxiety attacks. I don't think I've ever had one except for this moment um, because I literally laid on the stage in our youth room and could not breathe for a while, uh, like to the point where a real estate agent who was my best friend's mom was like, Gabe, are you there? 
Like, are you okay? Uh, and I just was breathing. That's all she could hear was my breath. Um, now, imagine, now that was a $100,000 loan, and so what was freaking me out was the fact that, uh, I know some of you guys are jealous that we bought our first house for $100,000. you are welcome. Um, what was, I, there's no way I could ever pay that back, right? Like something happened, there's a run on the bank, the economy goes down, and the bank calls and says, hey, guess what, your, your uh, loan is due now. We need all that money back now. Like there's, there's no way I could ever pay that back now. Um, and so there was a guy that came in not too long after and said, hey, listen, I know you guys are young in ministry. You have a beautiful family. Here's what I want to do. I want to pay that house for you. Um, so this guy came in, paid off our house for us. So this debt that we could not pay, um, that we were going to stretch out over 30 years, this guy just came in and said, hey, we're just going to pay your house for you. Your house is paid off. Um, now, that would have been awesome. It didn't really happen. Um, but... Could you imagine if that would have actually taken place? That if we were within a debt that like, there's no way we could pay this back and someone just walked in and said, here, it's paid for, it's taken. Because um, we've all seen snippets of that, right? Like who has ever been in the Starbucks line and got the pay it forward deal where someone pays for your coffee? Has, has anyone ever done that? Okay, a few of you. Okay, listen, there's 14 of us. You've got to help me out here. Uh, so yeah, so we were at the Connie house. Anyone been to the Connie house? Okay, Connie House, the people that we had all of our kids at the time, and so we thought we were just making everyone mad. I don't know if they felt pity for us because the people that were partnered at our table paid for our dinner, which was really awesome. Uh, we were going out on a trip, a vision trip to the Northwest, um, and someone paid for our entire trip. So there's been moments of incredible gratitude where something, a debt that we could not have paid for ourselves was paid for us. Um, and so what we're going to see this morning is simply that maybe uh, Jesus is bringing up this idea, maybe it's time for us to do that for others. That maybe because of the debt that Christ has paid for us, um, now we're indebted to pay it back, right? We're indebted to uh, providing for the least of these. And, um, so Luke 14 is where we're going to land, 12 through 14. So I'm just going to set it up a little bit, um, and I'm not, typically we'll read all of it. I'm just going to read snippets, and we'll talk, try to speed this up a little bit. Uh, if anyone falls asleep this morning, it's fine. I'm not going to judge you. Uh, I would do the same. I'm just glad that you're here. Just true confession from your pastor. If I wasn't a pastor, I wouldn't be here. Um, so you guys are the elite of elites. Sound good? You guys, yeah, you're going to get something when you die. Something special for this morning. Um, so Luke 14, we're going to pick it up in verse 12. Now, uh, Carlton kind of covered this last week. Jesus is sitting at a meal. Um, so we've entitled this series, A Meal with Jesus. This is literal, A Meal with Jesus. Um, Jesus is sitting at this meal with the Pharisees. Um, it's a lunch. We, we kind of inferred that from last week. And so they're reclining at the table, just talking, just hanging out. Um, and this huge thing comes up. And so but before we start reading, let me kind of set the pace for what a banquet is. Because Jesus is about to reference a banquet. And I think for us, this is one of those contextual things we just don't understand um, because we've never been to a banquet like, like the closest thing we've probably experienced is a wedding. Um, now this banquet is thrown by the elite of elite, the rich of the rich, uh, because they're inviting so many people. It's kind of a who's who's event, um, but it's not like they can just call Moe's and get it catered in, right? Uh, like they have to kill the fattened calf, they have to cook it, they have to prepare. Um, and these banquets, these parties would last for a couple days. I mean, if it's a good one, it would last for a week. Could you guys imagine partying for an entire week with good food, good friends, good wine, just a party? Um, so we're going to experiment with this. Did y'all see that spit? 
we're going to experiment with this. The Staples have some land, and so this summer they're going to throw a knockout, dragout party for a week. It's going to be like Woodstock in their yard, and we're just going to have fun. Um, so bring tents, and everything's going to be fun. Um, so a huge part, is that cool? Sure. Um, watch out for the horses. Um, in the things they leave. And so the other part about banquets, though, that we have to understand um, is in a time of no, like, structure. So there's no clocks. Uh, there's no time. There's no rhythmicness to life. They just did what had to get done in the time that had to get done. So the way that an invitation for a banquet would take place uh, would they be, hey, listen, we're throwing a banquet on this day. Um, just be ready. It's going to be in this day or in this weekend. Um, so go ahead and prepare for it. But we don't know what time. We don't know all that because they're having to kill and, and make food and all that. So um, when the banquet is ready, then they'd go back across the town and say, listen, it's ready. Come eat. Um, so there's actual two invitations to this. Um, and so just kind of an understanding of what's happening with this banquet will kind of set up for uh, picking it up in verse 12. So he, being Jesus, said also to the man who invited him, When you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return, and you will be repaid. Verse 13. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just." Now, this is something that even though we don't live in this culture, we can all understand, especially in our American society. One of the biggest questions that we ask is, what's in it for me, right? Like, I will help you out, we'll do, but, but what do I get in return? That our whole society, just like their society, is based on um, this mutual exchanging of gifts, of things, of times, of talents. And so what Jesus is saying to these Pharisees, these religious guys of the day, is going, listen, um, do not do this. Do not invite people in that are just like you, that are just your friends, so that you can get on their social level and they'll invite you in. Um, there's this joke I heard, and I don't think it's a joke, but um, there's a guy that was a new believer, was joining a church. Um, and he said, hey, pastor, what's the membership dues? Like, what do I have to pay to get into this church? Now, even though, like, we, we know that's not how it really works, um, we understand the political system that goes in here that, that I've heard this before in church business meetings. Well, church, I, or pastor, I pay your salary, so you must do this for me. So uh, we carry this kind of idea into the church world where I do this, therefore you must do this for me. It's so ingrained in us that, that it would take us just a long time just to sit and process this, that everything that we do in life is reciprocal. I'll do this as long as you do this. We understand it in school growing up. If I do the work, then I get the grades. And if I'm in school, then the teacher must teach me. And so everything is reciprocal. And Jesus is pressing into this going, wait, wait, wait. That's not how this works. That's not how my economy works. Um, that if you're going to throw a banquet, if you're going to throw a party, invite the least of these. Invite the ones that would never be invited. Now, uh, Jesus is not a comedian. There's not many times you see emotions out of Jesus in the Gospels, but, but you never really see comedy. Um, but if you can just put yourself into this room with the religious leaders of the day, um, at some point, I'm assuming here, and this is obviously conjecture, but they're going to start laughing at Jesus. Like, that, that's a good one, Jesus. Like, when we invite banquets, when we do these, when we spend all this money in it, you want us to invite the poor. That's a good one. Because we'll never get invited. Like, that's, that's funny. And so, the, in this scripture, we see that this really starts to bother Jesus. Now, specifically, verse 15. 
When one of those who reclined at the table with him heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is everyone who will eat the bread in the kingdom of God. So he's almost playing with Jesus. He's going, yeah, that's funny. Uh, but can't you just imagine what's going to happen when we get to heaven? And what he's talking about, Isaiah 25, which you can read on your own time, um, talks about the banquet dinner of heaven where all the prophets and all of those in the Old Testament, there's going to be a big feast in eternity with God in heaven. And so this guy is totally disregarding, blowing off all that Jesus just said about inviting people into the banquet table. He's saying, yeah, that, none of that stuff matters. When I get to heaven, that's what's going to matter. I am good. I am secure. My place is secure in heaven. So forget about the poor. Forget about the lame. I'm just going to go to heaven. Now, again, this is where we have to just start periscoping ourselves or, or really diving into the scripture for ourselves. Uh, because how much of this is actually ingrained in the way that we live and the way that we walk and the way that we talk, right? I mean, one of my favorite hymns growing up was When We All Get to Heaven, which is a great hymn. I'm not knocking that hymn, but what does that actually imply? None of this matters. Who cares about the things around us? One day we'll get to eternity and everything will be fine. When we all get to heaven, what a day of celebration. And that is, none of that is true and none of that is false if it's preached and if it's sung in the right context of yes, but we're here. We're not in heaven yet. Heaven will be great, and we will sit around the banquet table. Uh, but if for some reason, Jesus has not called us home yet. We're here. What then do we do? So this guy's response, who might even be some of our response, um, really troubles Jesus. Because when we get to verse 16, and Jesus jumps into this parable. And so if we were to outline this, there's basically four points. There's going to be invitation, excuse, inclusion, and exclusion where Jesus just tells this parable and, and helps to understand. So from here on out, we have to understand what Jesus is explaining is to this man, is to the guy that bucked at the system and said, no, Jesus, who cares about the lame around us? I'm going to be in heaven one day. And so Jesus is telling this parable in response to that thought. Verse 16, but he said to him, to this man, a man once gave a great banquet and invited many, and at the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to say, those who had been or invited, come, for everything is ready. Right? So talking to the Jews, talking to the Pharisees, nothing here is happening yet. The foreshadowing, the imagery that's taking place is the initial invitation had gone out, which would be the Old Testament prophets, Moses, Abraham, the, all these guys that had set up the pace for Jesus to come. Now the actual invitation is going out, which is Christ. Verse, six, verse 18. Here's where the excuses come in. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I bought a field and I must go out to see it. Please have me excused. Verse 19. Another one said, I bought five yoke of oxen and I must go examine them. Please have me excused. Verse 20. And another said, I have married a wife and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Um, now, the Jews, again, we have to understand contextually what's happening. The Jews would know that this would never take place. That if invitation has been given, that all of those are going to go to the banquet. To have three people um, through three different situations make excuses to the banquet, uh, the Jews would almost scoff at this and go, wait, there's no way. These are just excuses that would never take place. Jesus, your parable is falling apart. But we have to look at these excuses to understand uh, what the imagery that Jesus is trying to paint. The first one is property, that I've went to buy property. Uh, now, can a poor man buy property? No. So I've bought this property. I must go look at it. Let me be excused. 
Uh, now, here's the funny thing with property. Does it change? No, so if that guy would have bought 15 acres, is it going to be the same 15 acres in a week as it is right now? Right, so he's using a good thing, buying property, expanding his property, but he's using it as an excuse, and we can kind of see through the excuse. Or, or what about the oxen, right? Again, this is a rich man who can afford this amount of oxen. Doesn't he have a slave that he could send? Doesn't he have someone that could go check it out for him? Or, again, couldn't it be in two days later to go check out these oxen? He knew the initial invitation to the banquet was there. He knew that this banquet was coming up. Why did he choose to buy oxen right then? Now, the last one I think we could all, especially married men in here, kind of relate to, the wife said no. Fair enough, right? Like, okay, married guys, y'all are two cowards, so agree with me here? Thanks. Um, she said, yes, yes. Uh, just kind of like, amen, do one of these things. Uh, no, so we can understand, like, my wife said no, sorry, bro, I really wish I could, but mm, what do you want me to do? Uh, what this is actually inferring to, though, that in the Old Testament, there was a rule, a law, that within the first year of marriage, you were confined to marriage, you were confined to the house with your wife. But this had nothing to do with banquets, it had to do with war. That the man couldn't go off and fight war for the first year of marriage. They wanted that first year to be fruitful. It didn't have to do with work, it didn't have to do with banquets, it didn't have to do with, it, it was war. So even this excuse sounds legitimate on the surface, but when we really start to get into it, it's not true, it's not legitimate. They're all just making excuses. I read this quote this week, that the person who is good at making excuses is rarely good at anything else. The person who's good at making excuses is rarely good at anything else. So what we start to see here is that you've got two things going on. You've got possessions and you've got people that are used as excuses to keep them from the banquet. That you've got possessions and people that are keeping them from keeping their word, keeping them from the banquet that they've already agreed upon. So let's keep reading. Uh, second part of verse 21. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and the lanes of the city and bring in the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. And the servant said, Sir, we have, what you have commanded has been done, and still there is room. And the master said to his servant, Go out into the highways and the hedges and compel people to come in so that my house may be filled. Now, if the Pharisees were weary of this parable, they just got furious. There's no way that a Jewish man would invite all these people to his banquet. There's no way that this would take place. And Jesus goes, no, listen, here's what's taking place. The kingdom is for all and the kingdom is for everyone. There's a phrase that we could, maybe we'll spend a whole Sunday just talking about this, um, that Luke uses, that Paul uses, it's all throughout the New Testament, uh, for the Jews first and then for the Gentiles, for the Jews first and then for the Greeks, for the Jews first, but then, um, that is not a definitive statement, I mean that is a definitive statement, but it's not a categorical, it's just saying, listen, the Jewish were the chosen people, but the gospel is for all. So the initial invitation is yes for the Jews, but it's also for the Greek, it's also for the Gentiles, the gospel is for everyone. So we see this invitation first go out to the dignified, to go out to the rich. But when they don't show up, the doors are swung open. But there's two words that I want us to see just real quick as we understand this. Verse 21, um, he uses the word bring. And bring in the poor and crippled and blind. Now this word bring literally in the Greek means to bring, right? Like it means pick them up. They're crippled, they're blind, they're lame. 
It's going to require work on our parts, but you literally pick these people up and bring them with you. In verse 23, um, he uses the word to compel. These people, I mean, it would almost be like a trap, right? It would almost be like, there's no way, like, what's, what's happening here? Are you going to lead me into this party just to mock me, um, just to kill me? There, there's no way that I'm actually invited into this banquet, that I'm invited into this party. So they would actually have to compel. They'd have to persuade. They would have to use arguments. Say, no, 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 listen, you're invited in. You belong here. So either I'm going to compel you with my words or I'm literally going to pick you up and bring you into this party. But you're coming one way or the other because my master told me to bring you in. So do you want to go or do you want to go? Those are your two options. And there's going to be food and there's going to be good wine and there's going to be dancing and there's going to be celebration and it's going to be the greatest thing you've ever experienced. You've never been to a banquet before. Get ready. Put on your dancing shoes. It's going down. That's what's taking place here. That he was told to bring and to compel. Now verse 24 is where it gets turned. This is where Jesus stops telling the parable, stops telling the story, and directs it right back to this man. For I tell you. This is not third person. This is not the parable. For I tell you. None of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. I tell you. Now here's where we have to start to, to, okay, what does this really look like for us? If we've grown up in church, if, if we are a believer, what does this mean for us today uh, to study and to examine and to apply? That this delay in coming to the banquet, this delay in coming to the party, these excuses that they made were decent excuses. I mean, they might not even have been excuses that I bought land, that I bought oxen, that I need to spend time with my wife. Those are all good things, right? No one can say those aren't good things. But when the good things become the best things, then they become bad things. So when we start to cower behind and hide behind these things that God has given us intended to be good, and we start to make them the best, then they turn into the bad things. They're keeping us from the things of God. And so what we're trying to figure out this morning is, uh, honestly, are we doing that? Is that taking place for us? Is that taking place for me? Is that taking place for you? Are we making excuses? Are we hiding behind good things, pretending like they're the best things, and are actually keeping ourselves from the banquet, keeping ourselves from the party? Now, if we started all the way back at this parable, where Jesus says, listen, when you throw a banquet, when you throw a party, don't just invite people like you, but invite the ones that could never get into that party. That's where the problem is. That's where the, the whole parable starts. And I think this is what Jesus is trying to say, that the way that we love the world around us has a direct correlation to our love for God. That the way that we love those around us has a direct correlation for the love that we have for God. Scripture would just blast us on this, that we cannot say that we love a brother and we don't do, their, do anything for him. That we cannot walk in this dichotomy of disbelief, that we say we love God, we say we have affection for God, but our life never shows it, never proves it, never points to that. That the love that we have for God is shown by the way that we love others. The way that we love God is shown by the way that we love others. 
So here's the question. Here's what we just kind of want to wrestle with. And, and I, I was praying this morning, knowing this is going to be a low Sunday, like, is this the right message for the right Sunday, if that makes sense? Um, so we're preaching our way through the book of Luke. We're going to be here for a while. Uh, I say that. We're, we're almost done. We've got a year left. It'll be about two and a half years that we've gone through Luke. Um, and so is this, God, is this like preordained? Was this the right text for the right Sunday? In a lot of ways, I think it is. And here's what I mean. Uh, you're here because you're a leader. You're here because you're committed to the gospel. You're here because you love the gospel more than anything else. And I think that if we don't model this well, if we don't understand this well, if we don't apply this well, then we can never expect the rest of the church to model and uh, and apply this well. So the way that we love around us, Jesus says, has a direct correlation to the way that we love him. So here comes my beautiful bride. She's back there. She's tired uh, because she has been at Disney all week. <clears throat> Not all week. She left uh, Wednesday evening, came back Saturday for a little girl's trip. It was awesome. Now, so from Wednesday until um, yesterday, what time did you go home? Three, two, one, go. Sometime in that window, uh, I had the kids almost all to myself. We went to my parents' house Thursday night for dinner. But other than that, it was me. I intentionally even skipped out on a missional community because I knew if we went to MC, then the kids would want to spend the night with my parents. I was like, no, I'm going to do this. I'm not going to, like, I would beat the kids to get them back in the car just to prove to myself that I can take care of the kids, right? Um, Now, when the kids, when you came home, was the house spotless? Yes, it was, like, you're all judging me right now. It was clean. You could have ate off the floors. I wouldn't recommend it, but it was incredible. Like I put a ton of effort into uh, making sure it's proven to my wife that I can take care of the kids by myself. No broken bones. No like uh, there. I mean, there might have been some tears shed uh, by me and them, but it was. We made it. We survived. Now, hypothetically, though, say that that wasn't the truth, that Bree would have walked in and the house was a wreck and there was kids crying and I was crying and um, that Carol Lee had just thrown up all over the house and poor little Emmy, who thinks she's potty trained, just uh, for whatever reason while Bree was gone, just quit deciding that she wanted to go to the potty and there's just pee everywhere and, and just assume that Grady had just gone all like he loves guns and fighting and just taken that to the extreme and just started punching holes in the wall and assume that Auburn, which this isn't a far assumption, was just sassy the whole weekend and um, every time I said something she just like threw it right back in my face. So assume that Bree just walked into this horrible situation or assume that the house was dirty and the kids were great, but it was just my laziness that had led to the house being dirty. But I could say, Brie, you don't understand. Carolee was throwing up all over the place. Emmy was not potty trained. Grady punched like six holes in the wall. And like I could blame everything on these kids, and here's what couldn't happen. Brie couldn't tell me that was, I was wrong, right? So I basically had created a straw man out of our kids, while you were gone, all of this took place, so you can't get mad at me, you've got to get mad at the one-year-old. You can't get mad at me, you've got to get mad at the kids. I'm going to put all the blame over there. I'm going to create this straw man argument, and that's going to be my excuse. And church, what I'm afraid of is that we have created these straw man arguments of not loving the world around us. And, and it takes a ton of effort and discernment to go in and go, no, no, that's not true. Yes, our kids can misbehave, but Bree would have to question me and drill me. But did this really happen? Did this really take place, or did you just not do the dishes? Like, did this really? Did you really not have any time to do any laundry? Did you really not have any time to make the beds? And it would be interrogating, and it would be uncomfortable. 
But that's what would have to take place to get to the truth. And I'm afraid that we're going to have to have a lot of these awkward conversations to get down to the truth. Are we not loving the world around us because we really don't have time? Are we not loving the world around us because we really don't know what we're doing? Are we just creating these straw men, these excuses that sound good, but in the end are really keeping us from what God is asking us to do? And God is clear through this parable that when that banquet door closes, that our time is over. That we are stuck on this earth for only a limited amount of time. And we can make excuses this entire time, but when the door closes, the door closes. And our opportunity is done. So we have this 26,000 tally marks behind us. Are we really pursuing this? Are we really talking about this? Are we really doing anything about it? Or are we just kind of hiding behind these excuses? Now here, I'm gonna, this is where it starts to get controversial, so hold on. Here's maybe some of the straw men ideas that we've maybe created that, that might have a truth or an ounce of truth within them, but we're just hiding behind it. We're not actually pursuing anything. Here's, here's some. I don't know enough to love the world around us. I don't, I don't know enough to really tell anyone about Jesus. Or um, I need to be poured into first before I can go do this. Or I'm not in a good spot right now, so I'm not. And just blank, I am not this, therefore I can't do that. Now, here's where it gets hard because some of these are true. Some of these statements are very true. But if we overuse them, if these are just excuses that we hide behind, it makes it really hard to discern what is true and what is not true. Here, I mean, okay, I'm just going to step on toes real quick because it happens to me. Um, I don't know enough to make a disciple, yet I've been in church for 30 years. Okay, so then we just have to take this statement and go, okay, uh, is that an excuse that we're just hiding behind? Is that an excuse that we've given? We, we can't go to the banquet because I don't, I don't know enough. Is that, is that really true? And here's what I hope. Here, I hope we create a church culture where um, we just don't feel like we have to give excuses, that we would rather try and fail than not try at all, that I would rather us just create a culture where like we stand up here on Sundays or within our missional communities and go, man, we did this and it was awful. Don't ever do this. We send out group messages to other MCs. We tried this idea because we want to tell people about Jesus, um, but hey, don't do this. We got kicked out of Walmart. Bad idea. Stop. Don't do this. But instead, we get a lot of, uh, well, I just don't have time because I'm in 15 Bible studies this week. Really? 15. That's not a real number, of course. But we do have a lot of our, I can make fun of them because they're not here. We do have a lot of our college students that think that the way to righteousness, the way to sanctification is get into every Bible study possible. It doesn't matter what church, what you're going through, what you're experiencing, this, 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 this is what it looks like. Monday night this, Tuesday night this, Wednesday night, Thursday night, Friday night, Saturday night, Sunday morning, Sunday evening. Just do as many church things as possible, therefore you're good. Now, are church services bad? No. But is that the best thing that we're supposed to do? Are we actually making disciples? No, we're hiding behind good things, making them the best things, which now reveals that they're bad things. We're hiding, we're creating these straw men to say, no, no, no. Get mad at that, not at me. Get mad at my college schedule. Get mad at my commute. Get mad at this. Get mad at I can't, I'm doing everything I can. And through the gospel, through Luke, I just want to challenge us. But are we? Like, are, are we genuinely doing everything we can to get to this banquet? Are we genuinely doing everything we can? Because here's, 
here's the two sides to look at. Proverbs 1, 24 through 33. If you have your Bible, flip to this one. This is a long one, but I want us to see it. Proverbs 1, 24 through 33. We have to admit, church, if we're making excuses or not. And here's the truth. You know, when I make an excuse, even if it's the greatest excuse ever, and everyone falls for it, I know if it's a lie. You know if your excuses are untrue. Fear always leads us to excuses. So we know, church, we know when we make excuses just because we're afraid. But here's what Proverbs 1, 24 through 33 would say about this. Because I have called and you refuse to listen, have stretched out my hands and no one has heeded, because you have ignored my counsel and would have none of my reproof, I will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when terror strikes you. Verse 27. When terror strikes you like a storm and your calamity comes like a whirlwind, when distress and anguish come upon you. Verse 28. Then they will call upon me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but will not find me because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. Verse 30. Would have none of my counsel and despised of all my reproof. Verse 31. Therefore, they shall eat the fruit of their way and have their fill of their own devices. For the simple are killed by their turning away, and the, and the complacency of fools destroy them. But whoever listens to me will dwell secure and will be at ease without dread of disaster. So guys, God is calling us to deeper waters. He's inviting us into this banquet you feel like you can't go. You feel like that you're not worthy of walking into this. You feel like that you're inadequate. Well, if you admit that, then Jesus says, listen, I will carry you. I will compel you. I will plead with you to come into this banquet. The crazy thing about the gospel is our own inadequacy is key for us walking into the gospel. Any other arena of our life, um, our feeling of not being adequate enough disqualifies us. But in the gospel, that's the only thing that qualifies us. But if we hide behind this, if we cower behind and just continue to make excuses, God says, listen, the the banquet door is going to be closed. That no one else is getting in. So while you're here, before that door closes, What would it look like for us to quit making excuses and actually pursue those that are far from God? But here's the other side of it. What if we say, okay, I'm in. No more excuses. Whatever the Lord calls, I'm in. The banquet is calling me. I'm going. I'm searching for the least of these. I'm going to the parts where no one's going. What if it would really look like for us? 2 Corinthians 5, I think, outlines this perfectly. Verse 20 and 21. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, making his appeal through us. So now we're not the ones that are being compelled. We're not the ones that are being brought in. But now we are out bringing those in and compelling those to come to Christ. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. We implore you. Another way to say that is we compel you. We're trying to persuade you that the way of Christ is for you, that you belong in the kingdom. Now here's the reality of what actually takes place in the conversations that I've found myself in often. I'm going to convince you why the branch church is better than your church. I'm going to convince you, Christian, why you should come here and not there. 
But all the while of those conversations taking place, there are 26,000 around us that are pleading for an invitation into the family. And we're going, no, no, I don't have time for that because I'm too busy trying to defend the branch and what we're doing and put down all these other churches and what they're doing. Not that it's actually taking place, but that's the struggle. That's where we're trying to fight after the Jews. We're trying to fight after ones that have already been invited and by their own will are not coming in. But behind us are 26,000 going, no, please, like, just love me well. Invite me in well and I will come. You're going to have to compel me because I don't feel adequate to come into a room like this. I don't feel adequate to come into your house. You're going to have to compel me. There's going to be a part of this going to have to bring me into your family because I don't want to be there because I don't feel like I deserve to be there. So I'm going to throw out a bunch of mixed signals, and I'm going to argue with you, but don't stop loving me. Don't give up on me because I need the gospel. Literally, I'm going to bring you in. It's what God is asking us to do, that we are ambassadors. Uh, so, so what does this actively look like? I open up with this, right? Like the branch Millersville. Um, now I, I just have to be honest with you. Um, there's a part of this that is exciting and fun. And I mean, this is what we've set out to do. And um, ever since we rolled this out on social media, there's been a couple churches like, hey, we want to make a video about what you're doing. Um, the CBA is putting out a newsletter this week based just around, oh my goodness, a three-year-old church is starting a church. So that's so awesome. And so there's a twinge of that that's like, yeah, that, that's really awesome. But in the quiet when all the buzz and all the excitement stops, Kyle and Jen and I, we would admit, like, this is terrifying. That multiplication is going to be the hardest thing that the church has done to date. So we can get caught up in this emotions and this fun and what's taking place, but what's really happening is gospel goodbyes, or in other ways, gospel deaths. Do you not think that the Branch Dahlonega is going to have a huge hole in it when Kyle and Jen leave? I mean, these guys have led a missional community since day one. Kyle is like the perfect right-hand guy for me because he's logistics and systems, and I'm none of that. So do you not think, if we can just take the glamour away from this, um, I'm glad that we're, there's glamour. I'm glad that we're having fun and we're celebrating what God is doing. But we need to just kind of get through the facade and go, no, no, no. Like, this is going to be painful. That we're sending out some of our best, and not just them, we're sending out some of our best students, some of our best church members to go with them. Multiplication, I mean, can I just say, it sucks. It's going to hurt. It's going to be painful. But here's why we do it. Because we're creating more space for the least of these to get involved here and there. That when we multiply, when we divide ourselves out, we're creating more space for more people to get involved. So when we take this all the way down, listen, guys, we're trying to model this from top down as much as possible, even though it's going to hurt. And even though if we don't know if we're ready, we're still going to multiply. So when we ask you guys, hey, uh, your MCs, you need to multiply. It's going to be painful and it's going to hurt because you're sending out your best friends. But what are we doing? We're creating space for the least of these. When we say multiply your DNAs, it's going to hurt and it's going to be painful. But what are we saying? Create space for the least of these. If we max out all that we have for the people just like us, are we being faithful to the commandments of Scripture? Are we hiding behind the excuses of, this is just really good community for me right now? Is that true? Yes. But are we making the good thing the best thing that now is the bad thing? 
Because what we're actively doing is going, it's good for me, therefore it's not good for anyone else. I'm in a good spot, so the 26,000 can just sit there and wait till I'm in a better spot. Hard to say, right? I mean, it's hard to teach to. It's hard to get to the root of. I'm not telling you it's, not bad, it's a bad thing to have great community. I'm not. But I'm telling you that we didn't start the church and God didn't send us to Dahlonega just for us to have good community while we sit here and talk about 26,000 but are actively doing nothing about it. We're making excuses. And God says, listen, the kingdom door will shut There's going to be a time where there's no more. So what side do you want to be on? Do you want to go look at your land, or do you want to be part of the side that's bringing people and compelling people to come with us? Multiplication is hard, and it is messy. But Christ said, that's where I am. This is the gospel that I'm compelling, that I'm bringing people into the kingdom, and I just want you to do what I'm doing. So I'll just kind of wrap up with this, and I don't do this a lot, um, but, but this, honestly, this text has really bothered me. I've been working on this for a couple weeks now, and uh, if I could just have, like, I feel like I need a, ch- a big armchair and, like, a pipe and put on a jacket and, you know, like, cross my legs all funny, and just a word from your pastor's heart. You know, like, that's, that's I, I think I even, yep, from your pastor's heart. It's, it's in my notes. Um, here, here's where I'm at, um, just, just to be in all candidness with us. We did, uh, who's in your MC, right? So we did the triangle up in and out. So within our MC, we said, okay, as a church, where do you think our weakest area is? Unanimously, it's the out. So we focus a ton on the up, which is studying scripture, which is pointing us to Christ. Uh, We do community really well, right? Like that's the end that we love and serve one another. But all of us, I mean, the out, the going and making disciples is, is one of our weak spots, and so we kind of all agreed about that, and everyone else went home about their day and probably not thought anything about it, uh, but that conversation has not left my mind for two weeks now. See, when we started the church three years ago, we had to be missional to grow it. That if we didn't live missionally, if we didn't invite people in, then the church wasn't going to sustain itself. So you take, you know, when, when my wife and I moved up here and Matt came on and Kyle came on and we had about 10 people, Madeline's sister was with us, 10 or 12 people that were a brother, uh, well, Ben could be a girl sometimes, um, if we, don't tell him to listen to this, uh, if we had 10 to 12 people with us and we were sitting in my living room and go, okay, if, if we don't invite people in, then, then what's going to happen? We're going to be 10 or 12 and no more and we're never going to grow and this is going to be the death of the branch before we even start. So it was imperative for us to be missional. So then we started to grow, right? We outgrew our house, so we had to move into the back room at Parks and Rec at night, and it was great, but we still said, okay, we've only got 20 people. And then we had this huge defining service where we had this accordion wall. We're like, we're going to move the wall, and it was really cheesy and dumb. But we moved the wall, and God continued to bless. And then we moved in here, and we've grown. I mean, I think Kyle and I figured out we've sent, in the last year we've doubled since we moved into this space. But here's, if I'm just all my cards before you, I'm afraid that we've stopped. I'm afraid that we've gotten comfortable and that we're here and everything is great and we've got systems and procedures. And, but the conversations that I have are with church people about church things all week long. I've never this year had someone say, hey man, I can't meet with you because I'm going to meet with these lost friends. Would you pray for that? 
Those were regular conversations the first couple years. Pastor, I'd love to meet with you, but, but man, pray for these guys because they're so close to knowing Christ. The conversations I'm dealing with now, all good things, but they cannot be the best things because then they turn into bad things. What are we going to do about this? What systems do we need to have for here? This missional community is 50 people. What do we do about that? Well, DNAs have started. How healthy are they going? All this, which is good and great, and I'm not trying to talk anything about bad about any of that. What I'm saying is, if we're not too, if we're not overly cautious and sensitive about this, we're going to turn, and I'm afraid we've already started to turn inwardly focused and start to make a ton of excuses. And this 26,000 behind me is just going to turn into artwork. That we rub off more tally marks, putting it in and out of the trailer than we've actually seen people saved. Is it going to be hard? Yes. Are we going to have to force ourselves to get uncomfortable? Yes. Are we going to have to admit to ourselves, let's stop making excuses and just go do something? Yes. But I know us. I've seen us do it before. We didn't grow from 10 to 12 to average over 100 every week just because. We don't market anywhere. Do you guys realize that? There's no advertisement. There's no banners. We actually make it pretty difficult to find us. The only signs that we have outside are the trailer and maybe two little road signs. We don't have huge, crazy, inflatable arm men like saying, that, come to the branch. Like, we're just not that church. I'm not knocking that. That's just not us. The way that we've grown from 10 to 100 is you. It's word of mouth. It's you investing in. So the point of the gathering the point of MCs, the point of DNAs in our no-believe-obey structure is that we obey, is that we pray for who is God leading us to when we hold each other accountable to that. Now, how do I know this? Where's this insight coming? Where, how can I really put my thumb on where the church is? I heard a quote a couple years ago from a guy named Matt Chandler that has just rocked my core. The number one thing you hate about your church is what you hate about yourself. That's to pastors. The things that drive me crazy about the church is in all reality what drives me crazy about myself. So just as your pastor, I have to admit, I have done a horrible job at this. That when we were first here, I, I have gotten comfortable. I love the fact that we can joke about there's more people here than what we started with. And I, I love the fact that this is still a low Sunday, but it's almost as much as we were running a year ago. And I love the fact at some level, not every level, but that our MC, like we're literally talking about knocking out a wall in our house to make room for our missional community. I love that. And if I'm not careful, I'm just going to get complacent in that. Look at my great community. Look what's happening here. We don't have room for anyone else. You guys go find something else. And I feel that building up in my heart. I don't have the capacity to love anyone else because I'm loving the ones around me. And it's burning me out. Playing the church game over and over and over again is not how the Lord intended us to live. It's compelling. It's bringing. And, and here's why. Because Christ did it first. Christ for three years walked the planet. And who is he gravitating towards? 
the least of these. Who was gravitating towards him? The prostitutes, the crane, the, the lame, the crippled, the blind, the deaf. There's got to be something said for us that if we're not attracting those kind of people, if we're attracting the people that are just like us, then what does that say about us? If we're attracting those that are far from God, then I think we're walking out who God has asked us to be. So just TBH, as the kids say, I hated this scripture this week. I've hated it. I didn't want to preach this. Like I said, I think the Lord has directed that it's only some of our key leaders and committed ones here because everything starts and dies with leadership, right? So when we stop and pray for the 26,000, let's stop making this generic. Who is the one? Who is the neighbor? Who is the friend? Who is the family member that we actively want to pursue this week? I mean, we have a family. This is being honest. Brie and I have talked about this. We have a family that we don't know where they stand with Jesus and are begging for time with us and we're not giving it to them. Because we're busy. We're doing this and that. Right? We get people of peace knocking down our door. When can we hang out with the Dodds? When can we hang out with you guys? You don't really want to hang out with us. Our kids are crazy and we're allowed. But they're excuses. We're creating scapegoats. I'm going to blame my kids for this. So what church are we going to do? Are we going to hide behind excuses? Are we going to say, no, because Christ compelled me, because Christ brought me into the kingdom I'm going to subscribe to that. I'm going to multiply myself as much as possible. I'm going to live for those around us that don't know the gospel. I'm going to decipher for myself if these are excuses that I'm hiding behind fear or if God is actually asking me to go deeper with him. You don't know what you don't know until we try. So we say we, we can engage in gospel conversations. Well, let's try. Let's see what happens. So here, here's kind of the, the bow for this morning. Easter's three weeks away, right? Three weeks away. And in three weeks, um, again, the Lord has just ordained this perfectly. The text that we're going to be going through um, is the prodigal son about those who have ran from God coming back into the fold. And this is just perfect. So here's what I'm asking. MCs, what can we do over the next three weeks to invite people into our lives and invite people into this gathering? How can we make ourselves uncomfortable? How can we run away from these excuses? How can we look and seek for the least of these to tell them the best news of the gospel within three weeks? Now, you guys might not know this, but within our church budget, we have these things called missional community grants. And what missional community grants are is basically any MC can say, we have this idea we'd like to do for the least of these, for the community around us. Can we get a couple hundred bucks to pull this thing off? Yes, write a check, here it is. That's already built into the budget. So as MCs, as we start to pray and dream about this, don't let money stop you. This is one of the few times that the branch church can say this. We have money for this, for, for that line item, nothing else. We have money built in for this, to us to love our neighbors well. We've got time, we've got money, we've got people. Let's, let's do something, church. 
Let's do something for those around us, for the 26,000 around us. And, and he, without me sounding legalistic, we, I'm glad that we end every sermon with communion because, because First John would say that we love not because, uh, we love because Christ first loved us. Not to earn his favor, not to earn his right. So, so please don't hear me say, you need to do this or else. You need to go love Jesus. You need to go love the world around you or you're going to be a bad Christian and tsk, tsk, tsk. That's not what I'm saying. But if Christ has compelled us, if Christ has brought us into the fold, it's our turn. Christ has paid a debt for us that we could not pay. So now it's us, time for us to go love the ones that cannot repay us. Does it look messy? Yes. Is it going to be hard? Yes. Are we going to get any fruit from this? Probably not till heaven. But the reward there is going to be way sweeter than the reward here. So as we take communion this morning, here's what I want us to do. I want us to stop and just to celebrate Christ in that fact. That the only reason we're having these tough conversations, the only reason that we have this scripture is because Christ came first to love us, to pursue us, to compel us into the kingdom. And then I just want us to pray, genuinely pray for the 26,000 behind us. Pray that God would give us an opportunity this week to love someone around us. Here's where get, things get crazy. Uh, went to bed last night, uh, about 1, because I normally go to bed at 12, and this whole stinking time change. Um, woke up this morning at 6, terrified that I'd slept through my alarm. I had an email this morning already. Prayed this prayer last night for myself. Woke up this morning with an email going, hey, we need help. Uh, we heard about you through this guy. We need help. Can you help us? Now, uh, just being candid, uh, I get an email like this all the time get phone calls. We had to take my name off or my number off the church website because we'd get bogus phone calls. All that I don't answer un, uh, unknown numbers anymore because of this. I'd have people call me from Canada and Augusta and Albany and like, I don't know you. I can't help you. But I'm going to pursue this one because I prayed last night, God, would you give me an opportunity to love the least of these? And I wake up with an email in my inbox saying, we're homeless. Can you help us? How easy that would be for me to delete that. Oh, sorry, got caught up in my spam folder. Didn't see it. Is it going to be uncomfortable? Is it going to cost us something potentially? But I have faith in this prayer that when we pray for God to reveal the least of these around us, he's going to do it. Because they're already there, folks. 26,000 is a lot within a 20-minute drive. What's not there is our eyes to see. So I'm praying for us this morning as we take communion and remembering how much Christ has first loved us, but begin to pray for these blinders to come off and to see the world around us, for us to quit making excuses, for us to hold each other accountable and to pursue those around us. But all of this is vanity if we don't understand the first love for us. All of this is in vain if we don't understand how much Christ loved us and how much he pursued us and what his death really meant I think that's why Paul said, I'm, I've chosen to forget all things but Christ and Christ crucified. If that is my motivation, if that is my anchor, that's all I need. So let me pray for us and we'll go into communion and then we'll continue into worship. And Father, we're humbled by your word this morning. 
Jesus, it is causing uh, me to repent. And I think it's causing some of us in this room, leading us to repentance. Jesus, we, we pray that you would convict our hearts, God. Where are we making excuses? What straw men are we creating that's keeping us from you, the good thing? It's keeping us from doing your work, which is the good thing. Father, where is fear controlling our lives? God, where are those that you've already had us in contact with that are in desperate need of the gospel? And we don't have to go preach to, but we can just love. God, you've commanded us and you've modeled for us to love the least of these, the lame and the crippled, the blind and the deaf, the poor, those that have never tasted good food and great wine and the banquet party. those that have been kicked out to the outskirts of town that aren't even allowed in. That's where you were. Jesus, you died in Jerusalem, but your ministry led you almost everywhere around Jerusalem. So God, would you forgive me as the pastor here for not setting the example on this? For getting too bogged down in details and logistics and good church things that I have turned to the best thing, which are now bad things. Father, would would you forgive me of those sins? God, would you lead me to deeper waters with you? Would you give me opportunities this week to love well those around us? God, I know I can't expect anything for the church that I'm not first doing. But God, I'm praying that this week would be a turning point for a lot of us. we'd experience a deeper level of trust and intimacy when we are doing your will. Father, when we're walking and pursuing you and looking for you in everything. Jesus, when we feel the nudge of the Spirit telling us to go talk to someone, we have no idea what that means, but we do it. God, we pray that we would grow so deep in that way that we would see those around us looking for truth, looking for answers. God, and we, we pray that we, we wouldn't try to do any of this on our own power, God, because we can't. It's only because you compelled and you brought us into the kingdom first. So we're asking for your powers as we go compel, as we go bring others into the kingdom. <coughs> God, would you do that? 
Would we not rest in our own strength and our own power? But God, would this press us deeper into your and your strength? God, I pray that we don't turn into these Pharisees that are making excuses. God, I pray that we don't take these good things that you've given us and make us the best things. I pray that we're always hungry for more and more people to come into the family. I pray that we're never complacent with 100, 200, two churches, five churches, 10 churches. Father, there are so many in this country and in this state and in this town that don't know you. Father, I pray that would keep us up at night, that would never settle well with us. They would not make excuses. God, because you didn't. I know I have ran from you, Father, and you still pursued. You have been fully justified to turn your back and to walk back into glory and forget about Gabe Dodd, but you didn't. You pursued and you chased, and because you have... Let us pursue and let us chase. So as we take communion this morning, Father, would we be so grateful that you didn't stop pursuing us, that you didn't stop chasing us, that you didn't stop loving us. And God, because of that, would that push us into not stopping compelling, not stopping pursuing, not stop chasing down those around us that need you and your gospel. It's only by your name that we pray. Amen.